Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Beer and Money. I am Ryan Burklow. And I'm Alex Collins. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about seven financial steps that you should be taking for the new year. Yeah, you guys are probably listening to this in the end of January, beginning of February. We're recording this at the beginning of January. Um, but it's it's just kind of good basic advice to start off the year. And and uh, it's it's something that we think about every year. And we're, we're choosing to do a podcast about it this year. Yeah, so before we dive into that, though, Alex, what are we drinking today? Today, we are drinking Red Hook's Storm Surge Hazy IPA. Uh, go figure, we're drinking a hazy IPA. That's that's so unlike us. Yeah, so, and it's back-to-back Red Hook weeks for us. We we happened to go to Red Hook, and then we bought several of the beers, and so we we kept going with, <laughs> with the beer there at Red Hook. Um, alcohol content comes in at 6.8, IBU at 32. You know, I've, I've never had this one. Um, it's definitely a lighter hazy IPA. I've definitely had some heavier, hazier IPAs out there, but it's a solid drinkable beer. Actually, uh, if I were to rate it out of 10, I'd probably give it an eight. Sure. I, light is the optimal word here for this beer. Um, and what attracted me to this one was, uh, was, uh, watched a bunch of crack and hockey over the, uh, over the holiday break. Uh, and this has a, an octopus on the, the can, um, and so like, that's one, one of the things that attracted me to it. I'd never had this beer before uh, to me, this is the, it falls flat because it's too light. It's too weak. Um, I'll, I'll give it a five. Normally I really like red hook. Red hook's a great brewery. You should check it out. Uh, this is not my favorite, uh, beer of theirs. Yeah. So I'm going to, uh, say go Kraken and check out red hook brewery. They're a solid brewery. Absolutely. Red hook's good stuff. This is not my favorite offering for them. So let's dive into today's topic, right? So it's interesting. I was talking to a prospective client uh, right before the break, and you know, it the the recession twenty twenty three type commentary was already coming out. I mean, I think we heard recession all year in twenty twenty two. It felt like, and then it you know it's continuing into twenty twenty three, and everyone's gotten you know their New Year's resolutions or their you know they might be getting nervous about their finances. And the client that was talking to me who said, Hey, what are, what are some steps or prospective client? What are some steps that we should be looking at in our financial lives to make sure that we are just set up in either direction, right? Whether or not the recession happens or not. And I said, well, let's, let's talk about that. Right. And so there's seven steps that came out of that conversation. And these are the standard seven steps that we would always talk about, by the way, this isn't something I made up on the fly how you how much goes into each step is what makes it personal in terms of the personal financial planning aspect but when we get into it here step step 1 is being organized are you organized and that's so difficult nowadays when you think about all of the different logins we have to all of the different institutions yeah it, we really have to have some sort of system or some sort of methodology for pulling it all together and being able to see it in one location um Good news, bad news. There's been a proliferation of these types of uh, software that's out there. Um, the one that we tend to use is is a proprietary software that we have access to called Living Balance Sheet, um, which is designed to keep everything in one place um, and truly be a comprehensive view of your finances and, and do so it in a very visual manner. Um, a lot of these things have a tendency to be being number heavy 
which if you're an analytic like me is great, but for the average person really just kind of is a whole bunch of noise and numbers on a page that don't mean anything. Um, so find something that works for you. Um, if you're interested, we can certainly go ahead and show you what living balance sheet looks like. And, you know, that's part of our offering to clients is to help them stay organized. Yeah. I think the key here is find the tool that you're actually going to use consistently. <laughs> right. Like yeah. it doesn't really matter the tool as long as you're actually using it. It matters a little bit. Well, <laughs> it matters only to the fact that this is the one that you actually will use. The, the tool has to be effective, but yeah, if you don't use it, it doesn't matter. But, you know, I think this is just key, right? How are you looking at how you look financially when there's all these different, in, different institutions that you're logging into? How do you know what you really look like? And that's what this type of tool uh, can show you. And just if you can take that 30,000 foot view look, you can start to pinpoint, oh, I didn't realize that I had X amount of dollars there or X amount of debt there or what have you. For which sure. Then, which then takes us to step number two. You know, for those of you who've been listening to us for a period of time here, you know that like our number one thing here is like cash flow, the income that's coming in the door, that's your most valued, most valuable financial resource. If that stops coming in the door, how does lifestyle, how does anything work out for you? The answer is not well or not for very long. Yes, this is incredibly boring, but it's critical. And it's important that we address worse threats first, because if your income stops, life is going to become unfun unless we have addressed this at proactively and ahead of time. So step number two is optimizing your income protection, right? And we mean optimize, not just like Check to see if you've got some of it protected. Check done. <laughs> right. How much of your income is protected and, and protected from the worst threats. The, this tends to be, you know, help, you know, death, uh, you know, sickness, planning documents, lawsuits. Those are the key areas to really look at because if those areas hit you, it's very difficult to come back if you can at all. Absolutely. And so make sure you double check your auto insurance, home insurance, health insurance, disability insurance, life insurance, umbrella insurance. Have someone to talk to about those, that, those areas that also know, by the way, what your financial balance sheet looks like because those policies are protecting just that. Yeah. And the reason I started to smile there is I used to be in the auto and home insurance arena and I didn't know any of my clients what they actually look like financially on their balance sheet. I didn't know most of the time what their net worth was. Which makes it hard to properly protect and have conversations around what liability limits we should have and things of that nature. And it, it simply becomes a check the box thing of like, hey, here are three options. Which one do you want? Yep. Which then takes us to, to step number three here. And you know, I, I almost, maybe this could be step number one, it depends on how, when, in what order and, and how you look at this. But step number three is review with your spouse, your spending habits slash values. Yeah. I think like this go, is critical. Go look at your expenses and see where you're, you're spending money. Like actually my wife and I just did this last week and we had a subscription that we were paying for that we didn't know what it was. <laughs> like how ridiculous is that? 
And while it wasn't a lot of money, which is probably why we didn't catch it, it was like $6.99 a month or something like that. And clearly brought zero value because we didn't know what it was. And that's a small piece. Like just look at your expenses, understand what your values are and are your expenses matching those values? And this isn't like go hunt and find every single like nickel and dime and plan down to the penny. This is like, hey, just make sure that you're on top of it and review it. Because if it's one subscription for seven bucks a month, not a big deal. If you take a look at it and you're paying 250 bucks a month for cable and you barely turn on your TV, like, okay, that's a much bigger deal. And so much of it is just having the conversation around, okay, what do we want to be spending money on? What are the things that we truly care about? And do these things line up? Yeah. Like what are the categories, right? I I know my example is like pinpointing. It's kind of like the, you know, if you don't get Starbucks a day, that's, you know, $5 a day, you know, that's small stuff. And in the grand scheme of things, it's really not that important, but and I gave this example uh, probably several times at this point, you know, several years ago, my wife and I looked at our, our expenses and we looked at the dining out specific expense and we were spending thousands of dollars a month on dining out. And both my wife and I had a conversation around like, do we actually, like, is this something we really value? And we both were kind of like, not really. We, we enjoy the occasional nice dining out, like going to a, you know, John Howie steakhouse or something really nice like that. Occasionally we don't enjoy going down to the sushi spot or the burger spot or right. Or the red Robin spot with the kids as often as we were. So we cut back on expenses and it saved us like six, seven, $800 a month. Yeah. Which then snowballs and allows you to do all of the other stuff that like, if you're just living life and going through it, going, well, like, you know, my wife made the comment to me the other day of like, oh, hey, where are our dollars going? And like, because we were having a conversation around like how things were going for the year and and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And like, we're actually saving a lot more than we thought we were. But what winds up happening is like you just kind of go on autopilot. And when you're on autopilot, these things pile up and you don't think about it. And then you get to the end of the month and you're like, where the heck does all of our money? Where did the money go? Right. Right. So if it doesn't fit those values, cut it. Right. And maybe you don't find the $800 a month dining out bill that I was just talking about. But maybe it adds up to a hundred or a couple hundred bucks. Right. Even if it adds up to 50 bucks, it's still 50 bucks that you, you knew you shouldn't like, you didn't really care about. Well, and I mean, think about it from this standpoint, if it took you an hour, hour and a half to dig through stuff, have the conversation and you know that you're on the right path and that that's all the even, things that that's you're spending just money on, as valuable, 100%. Oh, that's massively valuable. If you spend the hour and a half and you find 50 bucks, that's not like you're not paying yourself, what would that be 33 bucks an hour or whatever? Like it's not that because you're paying yourself 33 bucks an hour now for not for work that you're not doing moving forward. Yep. And so the value there is tremendous. And like I'd encourage you to think about like, okay, how long is it really going to take me to sit down and go through 
my finances and like, okay, if you find 50 bucks a month, a hundred bucks a month, whatever it winds up being, is that worth it? hundred percent, which this transitions, transitions us, transitions, if I could speak today, transitions us to step number four, which is having some set of cash reserves, or some people will like to call it maybe an emergency fund, right? This is critical. Make sure we have savings set aside, or I apologize, make sure you have savings set aside and consider adding more to it this year. It, it amazes me how often we have the conversation with folks and they're like, like, we ask the question like, Hey, do you have an emergency reserve? And they're like, yes, absolutely. Okay, great. How much do you have? And in, almost inevitably it's less than one month's worth of income. And yeah, it, do, it, off, it doesn't matter the cash flow is coming in the door, right? The, these are people making seven figures. These are people making, you know, 75, hundred thousand dollars. It's one month. Right. And we asked the question like, okay, cool. How long could you go without a paycheck before it'd be a problem? And almost immediately you see this light bulb come off, come on over their head of like, oh, that, that number needs to be bigger. Yeah. And like every single person, like we had a client that was talking today about how their, they were worried about the rate of return that they were getting on their emergency reserve type money. And like, we've done a couple podcasts on this. It is not the rate of return that you get on your emergency reserve money. It is the fact that you have to have an emergency reserve and you need to make, make sure that you have liquid accessible assets. And we want to try and optimize whatever we're getting in terms of a rate of return, given the style and the structure the characteristics of that money. We want it to be safe. We want it to be liquid. We want it to grow. Like With those constraints, yeah, we're not going to get a great rate of return. And it's not about rate of return. It's about missing out on opportunity or protecting yourself. How many times have we heard, you know, someone will say, well, if I only had money during the 08 crash, or if I only had money to invest in that business or to buy that company stock, or, you know, if I only... And then we'll, on the that's on one side of their mouth, and then on the other side of their mouth, they're saying, "Well, I don't want to sit on that much savings because I want a rate of I want to get rate of return." Right. And really, what and, they're saying is, "I just don't want to save that money because I'm spending it." But that's yeah, what's really occurring. Yes, a hundred percent. And it, like so much of this conversation comes back to how much of your money do you want in the market? How much do you, of your money do you want out of the market? And understanding the difference between the two and what those things do for you. And like we have done a couple podcasts on in the money, in the market versus out of the market, what that means. Um, Cause we're not just talking about the stock market there. We're talking about any, any uh, opinion-based asset versus uh, promise-based asset. Yeah, so, so cash reserves is not about rate of return. Make sure we've got cash sitting on the sideline. This allows for, you know, the stereotypical peace of mind, which while it is stereotypical, it's also true. <laughs> What's funny to me is, is as we bring on clients, Alex, this is, this, it just came to my, came to my mind. When this client came on board, they were very much, you know, they had this, this standard one month of savings 
they gave the standard, I don't want to, you know, I don't want the, uh, the rate of return conversation, right? I don't want too much money sitting in my savings because I want to get a rate of return, right? That, that standard thing, you know, through our process and through the coaching and through just engagement with them and getting to know them, now they've got like 12 months sitting in cash, 12 months of income sitting in cash. And the person, um, this was last year, said, Ryan, I can't tell you how much less stress I have financially because that much that money is sitting there. Yeah. And I made the joke to her. I said, that's funny considering, remember how much you had in there when you first met me? And she goes, what do you mean? And I pulled up, right? The initial <laughs> intake. She goes, holy smokes. I didn't know that. Well, there is so, like, I had this experience not with finance, but with like muscles. So like one of the gifts that I was, that, that my family was given over the holidays was like one of those pneumatic, like, um, things for after workout, which is designed to like oh, the massage thing in a jigger. Yeah. Yeah. Like the gun that's or whatever. The real terminology for those of you listening. Well, so I got one of those and I was starting to use it and like 10, 20 minutes into using it. I was like, Holy cow, I did not realize I was carrying that much tension in my shoulders and upper back, which is then going to cause a cascade of like, well, that's going to give me more tension headaches. That's going to like tighten up my low back. It's going to restrict some of my movement in my arms and like all of these other cascade of effects that occur. There is way too many times when people do not realize the amount of tension that they are creating in their financial world simply by not having proper emergency reserve and proper liquidity. It's what you, again, we've said this before, it's what you don't know, you don't know. You've, you've just been living that way for so long. It becomes normal and you don't realize it. And then once you relieve that stress, you get the exact response that your client gave you of like, this feels so amazing. And you feel taller, you feel more confident. You <laughs> get all these crazy things that occur, right? Yep. hundred percent. Which takes us to step number five, right? We've got the cash reserve. Step number five is, well, make sure you continue to keep your high interest debt paid off. This is not the time to go spend $10,000 on a vacation and pay it back in monthly installments. On a credit card, that is. Right. Like how often do we hear, I hear it all the time. Like, oh, I went on vacation. My family and I needed a vacation. So we went on vacation and we were just going to pay off the credit card over monthly installments. Well, would you take the vacation? Oh, like five years ago. Out. Right. So keep like, don't get high interest rate. Like if you've got high interest rate, rate debt, get it paid off. Yeah. And if you don't have it, let's not go into it. Well, and it, this is incredibly, incredibly good timing to have some of these conversations. The, Given where interest rates are, are and are going or seem to be going. That's that's part of it. But also, the I know that you and your family do not have this issue. And that is very, very, very atypical for Americans. People spend way too much money at the holidays giving gifts. And it like, really, if you think back, the meaningful 
the meaningful things that you receive. And like, if I think back on the, the, the last two, three weeks, the things that I'm grateful for have nothing to do with any of the stuff that I've been given. Is it cool? Yeah, absolutely. I am eternally grateful for all the gifts and all of the, the things that I have been given. However, it's the time spent with my father-in-law who made the trek over the mountains to come visit with us. And we had a wonderful like five, six days. And it, it's, it's, the, we, it's the first time we'd seen him in quite a while because of the pandemic. It was that, not the, the stuff that he brought with him. Again, don't get me wrong. The stuff was really cool, but it was getting to watch Kraken hockey with him, getting to go tinker around in the garage and work on building some stuff. Like it's that type of stuff. It's it's the it's the experiences that are meaningful. It's the people that are meaningful. It's the memories that are meaningful, not the stuff. Yeah, and it's hard to do, right? It's hard not to want stuff. Even I, you know, I've told you the deal about the car. There's still stuff that I actually go and buy. Like I got the new iPhone 14 Pro, right? I'm which is funny, which is funny because I'm not a, I don't like tech, but I buy a lot of it. Um, <laughs> and to be fair, this actually brought down my Verizon bill. So technically didn't, it actually lowered my monthly bill, but that's not the point. The point is, is I still would have bought it without it. Right. And that's fine. Like it's fun to go do that, but just know, like you can't do it all the time. Like if I went and bought every new tech piece that I wanted or every new, like, sports memorabilia thing that I wanted, I'd have no money. <laughs> All right. Quick tip for anybody who has Verizon, by the way, go out and sign up for their automatic bill pay, not via credit card, but via bank account. And you'll save 50 bucks a month. There you go. Alex saving you money with Verizon. <laughs> so let's not go into debt. Let's, especially in high interest rate debt. So that's number five. And then step number six, continue to invest, continue to, to invest the way that you were investing. Right? So, we much don't know. Comes, so much of this one, Ryan, comes down to how you define investing. Yeah. So why don't you define it for them then? Investing is where you stick to a long-term plan. And it is just that, a plan and long-term. We really need to understand the definition of invest and compare and contrast that with speculation. Like we, the, the fact that there may or may not be a recession should not enter into what we're going to do from an investment standpoint, because investments should be long-term by nature and a short-term recession should not affect that decision one way or the other, because we are 100% going to get the timing wrong if we get the timing right it is by luck not by not by skill not by not by intentionality well no one's been able to time it consistently for long periods of time because as i say jokingly and seriously there'd be a statue of them on wall street not the bull yeah right so continue to invest make sure you have your investment philosophy make sure you're you're holding for the long term plan and you're not speculating. 
And then step number seven, and I think step number seven is a key ingredient because we are all human. Some would argue that maybe I'm not, but I am. <laughs> but leverage someone that you trust financially. And by and, leverage, I mean, use them as a mentor, use them as a sounding board, pick their brain, right? Someone that is knowledgeable as well as will tell you that they don't know the answer. Yeah, I mean, for you and I, or at least for me, you are a good part of that sounding board. Like you're one of the people that I trust that I like, well, I've spent what, 20 plus years of my life doing this and have gone through an extensive amount of training and spent inordinate amount of hours dealing with this stuff. I also know, I don't know everything there is to know about finance and never will. And I need experts and people to even just bounce ideas off of, of like, Hey, what am I thinking about this correctly? Is there anything that I'm missing here? You've done that with me periodically. Um, I thought it was funny. One of the things, like one of the conversations that my wife and I had was like, oh, hey, what do we do in this circumstance or this situation? My response was, oh, we'll call Ryan. And she goes, yeah, that's great, but I don't want to just call Ryan. I need to know like more details. And it's like, yep, 100% you do. And at the same time, call Ryan. <laughs> well, A, I appreciate that. And B, it's a solid point you bring up, right? That these are why you want to have people in your life that you trust. So that you can bounce those ideas off of one another. Because the fact of the matter is, is you have biases. I have biases. We all have biases, especially when it comes to our own personal financial situation. And even though you and I are in the industry, when it comes to our personal stuff, we have that bias that sometimes we forget that we do. And you will call me out on it. And I hopefully will call you out on it. That brings that equilibrium back to the financial picture. One of the things that I think is important for to not gloss over in that conversation is while I have someone that I leverage and I trust, mm. Ryan, how many times have you met with Heather? Uh, financially? Yeah. Uh, never. So, like, and that is like, I just realized as we're having this conversation that's one of the components that needs to change. And that's why I got the answer that I did was she doesn't know you like I know you. She doesn't trust you financially like I trust you financially because she hasn't been in any of those conversations. And that is absolutely applicable to our clients is make sure that your spouse, your loved ones, the people that are going to be there for you if you're incapacitated or are going to be there to pick up the pieces if you're no longer here, have these conversations inside of like that they know who to go and who to go to and why to go to them and what they can expect when they have those conversations. And I'll take that a step further. It's not just about your spouse. It might be about you. If you're older, you maybe your adult children, or if you're younger, or maybe you're an adult and you've got, you know, parents, right? Also speaks into your parents. Like anyone that that you care about that might have any kind of say or implication or anything when it comes to that, they should know what's going on. Absolutely. Let's make sure they're brought into the picture. So those are the seven steps to take for the year 2023, financially speaking, which takes us to the question of the day, Alex. Our, our question today is what steps are you currently taking financially 
and plan to take for this year. So head over to beerandmoney.net. And at the top of the page is a contact us page. And there's a spot for you to answer either that question of the day, or if you have any further questions or ideas that came from this episode, that's a great way to reach us. And lastly, it's a great way to reach us if you have personal questions that you would like to us to talk to you personally about. As always, we hope this episode was valuable for you. And Mr. Collins, cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities Guardian or Quantified Financial Partners and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. This material is intended for general public use. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities LLC is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation, or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Brian and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities LLC. OSJ 200 Market Street, Suite 1850, Portland, Oregon 97201. Phone number 503-221-1226. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities member FINRA SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Ryan Burklow, AR Insurance License Number 1531912, CA Insurance License Number 0K24924, Alexander Collins, AR Insurance License Number 7264699, CA Insurance License Number 0H24806. Pinpoint Number 2023. 148987 expiration January 2025